one of the things that over the years for me, which led me to today, is an understanding that life has not bumps and bruises, not ups and downs, but life has many built-in inflection points where you have to be able to make decisions in that moment. And the decisions will always be inspired by hardship, difficulty, stress, strain, mm -hmm. problems, just your life going not in the direction that you thought it was going to go, hoped it was going to go, planned it was going to go. And usually there is a significant change and it's almost always outside of your control. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Carve Your Own Fucking Path, a podcast made to inspire you to create a life and business on your own terms. You'll hear candid interviews with people who have boldly decided to blaze their own trail and the occasional solo show with me, your host. I'm Willa McDonough, on-camera coach, storyteller, and remote video producer. Five years ago, I moved from my home base of San Francisco to the coast of Portugal, taking a big leap into the unknown. Some called it courageous, I called it carving my own fucking path. Today I live in Lisbon and run a business that elevates your online presence, helping you show up confidently on camera to create videos that showcase your brand and personality so you can get more visibility and attract clients by being yourself. If you're just starting out in business or you've been doing it for a while, you're sure to pick up tidbits of actionable advice and hopefully feel inspired by stories from people who have chosen the unconventional and sometimes messy path. And if you've been waiting for a sign to start carving your own fucking path, this is it. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to the podcast. Happy Eric. to be here. Do you go by yeah. Eric Owen Russell all the time? My friends and my enemies both call me Eric. I have a hard time believing you have many enemies. <laughs> it's another podcast. <laughs> another episode. Okay, so I like to dive into usually backstories right away, but I want to I want to preface and just say you are the OG of the OG coaches. Forty years of Been coaching for a little bit. Yeah. How does that? How is that possible? You look so young. First of all, which is gracias. Seriously. Uh, my God, I started in this business way back in the very early 1980s, back when it was largely called consulting. Oh. And mm -hmm. when I was in college, I had a, a coach mentors, master coach who really mentored me, trained me, and was instrumental in me getting involved in this particular business. But even before that, and this will give you a, a sense as to the work I do and why I do the work I do, was... I was tutored. I was one of those kids who went through elementary school, high school, and college needing a lot of help. Mm. I need a lot of help for a lot of different reasons. One, a different kind of a learning style. Number two, I was one of those kids who was tracked into the slower group in terms of elementary schools, what they did back in the 60s. Um, I suffered a lot of bullying, a lot of harassment. Um, elementary school was incredibly hard for me to get through both in terms of what was happening at school with peers and even with teachers, what was happening at home. There was a lot of psychological, physical, and verbal abuse that I grew up with. Um, and a lot of that influences and fuels my practice, my perspective, my understanding of difficulties and challenges in life. 
So bringing all of those things together in terms of my experience, I became one who was very driven to help people learn because were it not for teachers, were it not for other adults who vested heavily in my life, you and I would not be having this conversation today. We'd be having, if we were talking, it'd be very different. But all of these people came alongside me at times where I literally raised my hand and said, um, I have no clue. And literally for me through academically through school, even through college, so much of my time was spent, I don't know. Mm. Um, and, but if it weren't for people who really assisted and helped, I wouldn't have gone to that fancy prep school in Philadelphia. I would have ended up at that high flute and Ivy League school I went to. And all of these people assisted me through my life. So when I bumped into this particular master coach who helped me literally get through my college years, it was like, what are you doing? And he told me what he was doing, what his work was. This is probably about my sophomore year of college. And I completely shifted from a law school direction to a organizational psychology direction. Organizational behavior is what I ended up graduating with. So that really fueled a lot of my academic background and understanding how people work in a context of systems from a behavioral standpoint, from a developmental standpoint, from just understanding how people interact within systems of organization and systems with each other. So basically from an organizational psychology standpoint, it was sort of the, the actually perfect training to enter into consulting, which is what I always wanted to do. So we simply made the transition um, somewhere around I don't know, whenever coaching came into vogue. <laughs> Not that long ago. <laughs> no, I just started working coaching, went back, got some certifications and blah, 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 blah. Here I am today. Along the way, I was a pastor and all kinds of things like that. So there's oh. all sorts of interesting backgrounds. Okay. Um, that make up my past. So that gets me to today. Right. And it, I always like to say the dots all connect, even if they, they didn't are... seem like they did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Could you describe the mm. moment or a moment that you said, fuck it, I'm going to go on my own path? Do you have a moment like that? I'd probably have to go back to when I was probably nine years old. Mm. When I was nine years old, that was, I went away to summer camp. So I remember the moment like it was yesterday. I was sitting on a tractor and they were teaching how to drive a tractor. And I remember that moment. And I said to myself, it is so much better out here than it is back home. I am getting the fuck out of there as soon as I can. And that was when I went on, literally, literally that moment was the moment of independence for me, where I was like, I'm going to live my life on my terms. And I will do that in every environment, in every situation that I find myself. This is how I'm going to do it. It's going to be about me, for me, by me. And off I go. And oh, by the way, that is the approach that I had to take because quite frankly, I'd learned at a very, very early age that there was nobody coming for me. That's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I you hear learn, that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You learn self-protection. You learn that the world is a dangerous place. You learn that you need to protect yourself. You learn all these things happen. Mm -hmm. I was too young to really understand it at that point in time, all of the dynamics, but looking back, it's very clear. Thanks for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. And that's, again, that, that, that statement, no one is coming to save you. Now we have support 
can help, but the saving is so important because a lot of the time we we're waiting for that subconsciously, you know, most of the time. Um, okay. Mm. So this quote I read on your, on your site. Um, Oh, I'm not but, ready. Well, <laughs> no, it's just basically <laughs> just to give people an idea of, of really what you do in, in one sentence, you say, I love what I do. And I'm at my best when someone is in the worst of circumstances. Yeah. That is not a job most people choose. Mm. I think that for me, um, there is something about, as I said before, going back into my past, there's just a passion for being of service to others when they really need it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is a moment of, and this is interesting, it's not rescuing someone because I have no interest in rescuing anyone. Mm-hmm. But I am interested in in that moment when a person is literally at their worst, when they are throwing their hands up, when they don't know what to do, of joining them there and saying, it's over there. Mm-hmm. Let's let's get there together. And I get it. Life for you right now is horrible. Totally understand. And from the looks of things, we should get out of here now. <laughs> Eject. Let's go. Let's get out. Um, of here. <laughs> let's get out of here. Let's do that. Let's get out of here. And right, like, but yeah. I don't know what to do. Okay, so let's let's <laughs> figure that out. Let's go and let's mm-hmm. move on. I like okay. to say that um, I like to. My style is to uh, comfort the heart, mm-hmm. reason with the mind, determine what the options are make choices, understand possibilities. Let's get going. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Even just talking to you for five minutes, I feel very calm. So I think your presence is so much of the work that you do. And because when someone is in that, that it sounds like a crisis, like you're there in these, in these really intense moments that you yourself have to be incredibly grounded. Mm -hmm. 40 years ago, here you are, studying, working towards this degree, having your own coach, your own experience. What was the path that you took down this road of consulting and then transitioning into coaching? And when were these times of crisis that you were helping people with? Like, how did you find yourself in that role? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I love your choice of the word crisis. Uh, And I love the word, the choice of the word crisis, because I, I like using it these days because I think that so many people misunderstand it. And I think you absolutely get it, which is the turning point. And from a medical standpoint, the term crisis is a turning point where either turn towards recovery and health or return toward greater disease, dysfunction, and eventually death. So when people are at these interesting turning points or off ramps, if you call it, or off ramps mm. for the way that they're going or on ramps onto a new life, that is a moment where people are literally sitting down in the middle of the road saying, okay, which way do I go? Um, I, I, what do I do now? And they're asking all of the right questions in that moment. And that's the powerful mm. point about these crises or these turning points is that people start asking the questions that they were either afraid to ask or the questions that they knew they should ask but refused to ask 
were questions that they didn't even know they needed to ask. But suddenly, in the midst of the cauldron, all these questions come bubbling up and they start asking one after the other. And that's really when people begin to pivot. Mm. It's literally when the crisis happens, when they are at the turning point, they begin to shift and move in a different direction. So for me and my practice, this went all the way back to my early days of work where I was actually working with people as they were making career choices and helping people choose a career. And usually when people show up, they're like, oh my God, what am I doing every day? Or had a friend of mine reach out to me a couple of days back and they're like, I hate my job. And it's like, dude, I know what Sunday night is like when you're sweating, when you're palpitating, when you can't sleep, because you know what Monday morning is going to bring, when you're going to have to armor up and you're going to have to get on the bus and you're going to have to go to work and you're freaking terrified because it's just the first day of what will be five days of marching through fire and through hell. And nobody wants to face it every day. Right. So I was helping people with those types of transitions, those turning points, if you will, and helping mm-hmm. them figure out, well, what in the world do I do next? And how do I get there? And that process sort of continued that I got away from doing that specific kind of work and moved more into just helping people generally solve for what I want to do with my life. Another one of those turning point moments. What do I do now? Those are big questions. (laughs) Huge questions. So right. I could I could see where the, the career coaching is such a an easy one not easy but where you know you kind of lean towards that but then in reality and i can just again just talking to you and and knowing you for a little while it's like you want to go deeper than that you're like let's because if this is showing up in this way where else are you not feeling aligned you know And and i think it is bigger and deeper than that so it sounds like it was a a natural progression towards towards that and also in your own yeah. life you 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 say um you know you had many storms in your life whether it's relationships medical finances relate you know marriage things like that so you you yourself you're weathering these storms so talk about doing this kind of work helping people in their most vulnerable confused you know lost moments and then your life how are you weathering these storms in your own life while you're helping a, people? So I appreciate that. It's a great question. Even right now, as we're talking, I've got like the dash <laughs> people outside the window and they're emptying. I the heard dumpster. something. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, just a lot of noise, a lot of confusion. Oh, this, is the yeah. inter- this is the interesting part about life <laughs> is that this is a regular part of our existence. It's the unexpected. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that you're going down the straight line. Something comes along and knocks you off course. It's, what do you do in that moment? So what I've generally found is even right here is what we need is we need a framework in order to understand this. So this is not out of the, the trash truck coming while we're trying to record this podcast is not out of its context. It has a context, which is this is a likely event. So what do you do? And the challenge that I have found in working with both people and going back and looking at my own life as I've gone through things such as the challenges through my elementary school life, um, the moment my ex-wife went to 
get the first cancer diagnosis for her. Um, and then we went through all the series of testing, including nearly losing her because when they were doing a biopsy of her pericardium, which is the sac around the heart, they pierced it. And when mm. you pierce the pericardium, that is a life-threatening situation. And you better get that fixed in like, I think you got 30 seconds or less oh. or a minute to get that fixed. So, you know, you're sitting out there waiting for them to come out. It's taking much, much longer as it was as I was sitting there waiting. And, uh, you know, this, this doctor comes out and says, Mr. Russell, we had a little problem. Those are never the words you want to hear no. <laughs> at all. Um, so you go through these types of circumstances and situations. So one of the things that over the years for me, which led me to today, is an understanding that life has not bumps and bruises, not ups and downs, but life has many built-in inflection points where you have to be able to make decisions in that moment. And the decisions will always be inspired by hardship, difficulty, stress, strain, mm -hmm. problems, just your life going not in the direction that you thought it was going to go, hoped it was going to go, planned it was going to go. And usually there is a significant change and it's almost always outside of your control. That is the situations that many clients bring show up to get help from me. Is there a, suddenly in a situation where they didn't expect it? Mm -hmm. And that's usually what happens with difficulty and trauma and, and challenge. It's unexpected. That's one right. of the things we have to understand about it. Number two, it's going to change your life in some meaningful and important way, or the threat is to change your life in some meaningful and important way. And what I've understood, and I have to understand this for my clients, is that there is a framework, there is an understanding, there is a predictable, if you will, course of events that we follow when these things happen. But it always begins mm -hmm. with the understanding that this is a possibility. No, it is an expected part of your existence. Mm -hmm. And if you if you shift to that mindset, then you then you you're already twenty steps down a hundred step path. And that first twenty steps is oh no, I didn't expect it. To oh yeah, this was eventually going to show up. <laughs> I'm not. Right. I don't think I'm ready, but I'm sort of ready because. It was coming at some point. Mm -hmm. So expect the storms. Expect the storm. That's the yeah. first step in the framework. Yeah. Expect the storm. Yes. It's coming. It's coming. It's true. It's and coming. what what about decision making? Because do you believe in a good decision and a bad decision? Or is it just a decision? That's a great question. Hmm. Let, me, <laughs> let me sit back and potter for a minute. That's a fine, that's a that is. I don't even know how we really answer that question, except to say it's a decision. Mm -hmm. It's going to have an outcome. We'll figure it out once we get there. Okay. Because there's oft times where people make choices and decisions that Willow, you wouldn't agree with. I wouldn't agree with. And in the end, they may not have thought was the right call, but they mm -hmm. did. Right. So that's part of just the consequences of life and then we know that there are decisions that we think are good ones and end up not going all that well in the end <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's true I find um a lot of people you know with the the decision making there's a the paralysis there and not making a decision 
And, and I always say, well, that's also a decision. So I am, um, yeah, definitely know how it feels to not make one because you don't want to make a bad one, but you never know well, until you do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You absolutely don't know. It's interesting because what often happens in terms of the decision is, and, and one of the things that we need to think about is, well, why did you make the decision you made? What were the influences behind the decisions that we make? And we typically have four options and it's controlled by our, our amygdala when we're first reacting to the difficult situation, we're in amygdala hijack. Um, prefrontal cortex is generally shut off. There really isn't any thinking. There's only reaction. And the reaction is always in the form of self-protection or self-defense because we consider the situation to be a threat to us. So we're almost always in a reactive stage. So where we will always begin our getting out of the difficult circumstances where our, our, our insertion point is always in self-defense or self-protection. It is always in, almost always in amygdala hijack. So that's gonna provide four reactions, which is always gonna be first, we can, we can fight it, we can flee from it, we can what we call freeze in it, or we can fail. Okay. Those are the four things I always talk about. You know, We can fight it, like make it stop, <laughs> yeah. we can we can yep. flee from it <laughs> let me get the hell out of here mm -hmm. or we can freeze in it which is just like please don't hurt too much <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or, right or we, or we can just yeah. completely fail and all of those things are typically going to drive our initial decisions so in almost every instance our initial decisions are going to be based on an amygdala hijack which is going to be self-preservation which is going to be an emotional reaction mm -hmm. so that's going to be pushing those decisions and that's why when we start, when we're first in, when we encounter that thing that knocks us off the rails, that disorients us where we're confused, hurt, troubled, whatever, that's when we actually need somebody else's prefrontal cortex to think for us because mm. ours is offline. This is just biology. Mm -hmm. This is just simple biology. So we always begin the process for all of us is getting somebody else to help to think for us. So our best response in those moments, unless the house is on fire, unless you literally are dealing with a life-threatening situation where, guess what? The best decision is, I should live here. Let me do that. Yep. Living is good. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Call Eric. <laughs> step two. Yeah, step one yep. is, should we call Eric now? Is your house on fire? Well, it is. Are the flames licking up around your ears? Well, they are. Well, then you get out of the house. <laughs> we can talk later. <laughs> right. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, they stay in that reactive state. And in that mm. reactive state, it's always going to be an emotional response. And it will always be towards self-protection, self-defense. And it will rarely be toward actually resolving the problem. That involves thinking. So you got to get your prefrontal cortex mm. back online again in order to be able to think so that you can actually resolve. But in the meantime, the best decision maker in those instances, again, if the house isn't on fire, the best decision maker is going to be somebody who's got an active firing prefrontal cortex. Then you can begin to get some good decisions made for you, in air quotes, good decisions mm -hmm. made for you and move uh, out of where you are into a more responsive state. Does that make sense? Yes, that just right, kind of good. like really blew my mind, actually, because of the the fact that you said, well, it's very technical too. prefrontal. Do you, do you have a, an active 
prefrontal <laughs> cortex that I could use in the moment. And, and that's why we call friends or we, we have people to help us because we're not, because they are not emotional. Right. And that is so powerful. And at the same time, you think, well, no emotions. It's what motivates us. It drives our behavior. And the, you also said using the, the mind to think, and that's how we resolve things. And I guess that kind of is a little bit of the, the, I hear this a lot is listen to your heart. What does that mean? Exactly. What does that mean for you? Mm, Instead of using your mind to solve. Well, you're dealing with an integrated system mm-hmm. in terms of your mind, your heart, and your gut. So right. some traditions call it the three brains, and the first brain is your gut. The second brain is your heart. And the third brain, bringing up the rear, is this one in our oh. heads. And that's how I've heard that referred to in a lot of ways. So all three are part of a system that we really need to have integrated so that we can have the systems of checks and balance that we need in terms of moving in the right direction we need to go on. They all check with each other. I think this is the right thing. How am I feeling down here? What is my Mm -hmm. heart telling me I should be doing? So we're going to work with all three of those. Sometimes our emotions are an entry point, are the entry point in, but they they will only be able to take us but so far. And Mm -hmm. then we need other systems of checks and balances where we use the prefrontal cortex, the whole brain comes in, we begin to actually thinking through the processing and getting to the result we want to get to, but Mm -hmm. we align all of them. So one of the things I think that is really smart for everyone to do is, and we've often gotten in trouble, is when your gut is telling you, "Mm -mm, no. Um, And we override. That's never a healthy thing because it creates always within us conflict. Mm -hmm. That's saying one thing, head saying another thing, and that's just not good for us. Um, I'm a big fan of the independent enteric nervous system, which lives in our gut. I'm a big fan of that. It's generally, a lot of times, really right on. Mm. And there is there's a large body of study that's really suggesting that the gut is actually the one that is riding, that is driving the brain. Oh, the brain. Okay. Yeah. The, this isn't actually making a lot of the decisions. The decisions are being made here. And this is just mm-hmm. checking. It's just check. It's yeah. like, oh, that okay. makes sense. Oh, I don't do that. <laughs> so um, I can't okay. point to a particular study, but I remember reading something recently that really talked about the impact of the gut, the enteric nervous system, as opposed to the central nervous system and its, and its interplay with the brain. Then we've got all this vagus nerve interaction that happens between, that runs through all through the head, the heart, the gut, craziness. It is. <laughs> it's crazy. I just saw a YouTube video, like the vagus nerve, something and I didn't click on it, but now I'm going to, because I want to know more about the biggest nerve. So the gut, how do you personally, and also potentially work with your clients on strengthening that gut feeling or listening and tapping into it? Do you have any personal, any tips or practices? Mm, I, I, I want to ask, why is this a curious question? Mm. This, is, this is interesting. Well, personally, I think I'm always curious about people's, um, you know, like I guess gut feeling, there's no other way to say it. We can say intuition is something that, that I've heard a lot of people say they drive, they, you know, run their businesses intuitively. They just run their lives completely on intuition. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm like, well, how the hell? I don't know. I, I have a feeling one minute kind of changes. And then I 
consult, talk to someone else. So sometimes I, I personally struggle with what is, what is the, the gut feeling here? Where is my intuition? And so I find people, especially people like you that are so in tune and self-aware and just tuned in, you have some sort of practice or um, way to really listen that you've developed. So a couple of things I think are important about the question you ask, and it's a great question. Frameworks, frameworks. Part of the framework that drives not only my own life, but drives my practice is an understanding that there's more than what we see. Mm -hmm. And also based on what we know to be true about some of our oldest wisdom traditions long before Western science still exist today, still are true today. And there's something in there that just is right and true. Part of all of that is how do we understand the working of this particular organism? We talked about vagus nerve, we talked about brain, we talked about heart, we talked about gut. We talked about all of these things. We've talked about into sense of intuition, that sense of knowing, yet not understanding how we know, we just know. There are all kinds of theories behind that. Some of it is just simply the, how fast the brain fires. Something has to do with how all these things intertwine into work. Some of these things have to do with the fact that we just get an energetic reading on a situation. Mm -hmm. All of those are true. I discount none. I believe in them all. Okay. Mm -hmm. Part of the answer to your question relative to how do we draw upon our gut? How do we tune into ourselves? Is that is a skill set that we can develop and understand a particular practice that I use to help to develop my own tuning into my body. And what I'm sensing is a practice called stillness practice. And in mm -hmm. stillness practice, what I do is so let me just back up real quickly. Stillness practice is an ancient practice. It goes back to third century and beyond. So third century Taoist philosopher talked about it as internal alchemy, which is the actual result of stillness. Marcus Aurelius, second century Roman Empire, noted Stoic, talked about when we are still, we create internal equanimity. We find it in the Vedanta, one of the Hindu books of schools of wisdom. We find it in yoga tradition. When we enter into corpse pose or Shavasana at the end of our yoga practice, we still the body to consolidate all that we did in the work of yoga. yoga. So there's parts about, there's aspects of stilling the body that are really important. You and I right now are still. And we're still in order to focus our energies and our attention and bring all of our faculties and resources to bear on a conversation that we're having because we want to make sure we get it all. So we still our bodies. We're not running around. We're not talking over our shoulder. We're still. So when I mm -hmm. practice this practice of being still, we still the body in order to do a very specific thing, a couple specific things. One is to tune in to our felt experience not to understand it from an intellectual standpoint, such as I'm sitting, I'm feeling cold, I'm looking, I'm hearing a truck, I'm seeing a trash truck, or I'm smelling <laughs> a, a, a fragrant flower. We're not trying to interpret what our senses are telling us. We're simply to be in the senses and experience those senses. And when we do that, we can more finely tune or tune into all of the 
signaling that we're getting from the over 7 trillion nerves in the human body. And it's my belief that we were meant to be in this world as sensing, feeling, and emoting beings. This is the reason why, and perhaps what will get to your question about intuition, it is in fact often that it's through these 7 trillion nerves that we're getting incredible amounts of data. We don't pay attention to it because they're not gross data. It's not like, ouch, that hurt, or wow, that's hot. They're very finely tuned organism this human body is and it's able to pull in immense amounts of data that we don't even pay attention to so perhaps what might be going on with that gut feeling is this it's the data that we're getting that has no ability to be interpreted in any type of sensible or logical way but it's in but it's being understood as a gut feeling as a feeling mm-hmm. that your body is having in this moment as part of your felt sense, your felt experience. And when we had the ability to tune into what we're feeling, we have an opportunity to develop that sense, be more sensitive to it, really understand that there's something here, don't know what it is, but it's here. And I think we're gonna leave now. Yep. So my, my first yeah. experience with that is, is this. In the senior year of high school, we were on a trip with my choir and we were in Scotland Ew. and a great <laughs> place to be. And I think Stonehenge is in Scotland or someplace in England, one of the two places. It's in England, it's in yeah. It's in England, in the <laughs> UK. So we roll up the, to, to Stonehenge and all the kids jump out. They go running toward the obelisks and um, I went running with them and I hit this thing and I backed up. There was nothing there, Oh! but I hit it and I backed up and it felt awful. And I went back to the bus and sat down. That was one of my first instances of wow. there's stuff out there. So that might seem like an extreme example of what I'm talking about, but all of us have this incredible sense we talk about the um, we, we talk about when someone's standing too close to you, you can feel them. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about walking to the room, getting a not a good feeling. We talk about this gut sense. So we turn and we walk this way, and suddenly it's like I don't think I should do that. There's there's no real reason why you shouldn't, but you turn and you go the other way. So yeah. these are all reasons why that we have this gut sense that we should learn to trust in many instances, certainly not in all, but in many instances. But the key is, are we aware? Are we tuning in? Do we sense it? So if we can develop that skill, and I do that through stillness practice, um, we will be better not only in being in the world, but also being in relationships but also understanding what I'm dealing with when I'm dealing with something that I might not fully understand. I might be able to sense what it actually is or get a or better understanding of it by what I'm sensing. So I hope all mm-hmm. of that made sense and helped to answer your question. Definitely. Oh yeah. And I love that story too. Good. Good. <laughs> yes. And I think this is, um, it, it goes back to so many bigger things too. When people try to find, it's like, they're looking for something outside of them. I'm sure you hear this all the time. What do I do with my life? What is my purpose? All of those things sometimes seem outside, but really it's tuning in. 
it is. And, and so can I capitalize on that point real quickly? Oh, yeah. So I've been doing a lot of work lately with a lot of my clients around this notion, particularly as they're going through navigating through difficult circumstances. And I've come to this conclusion that I'm sort of toying with. And it is all of these are moments for us to take the journey homeward to ourselves. That's the opportunity I think that we're seeing. It's the chance to take the journey homeward back to ourselves to find the person to get back on the path that we once for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, we perhaps should have traveled <laughs> yeah. uh, because of yeah. expectations, pleasing to others, fitting in mm -hmm. culturally, becoming a functioning member of our society. We've gone this way. When in fact, what we should have done is gone that way. Mm -hmm. So often what I'm discovering with, with a lot of the folks I'm working with and really having the pleasure to work with is this process of birthing and having them mm. see themselves for who they actually really are and then choosing that person over the person that they thought they were. But it's a return to who they always have been often. I love that. Would you say that's a, a identity work? That's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. No question about that. And a lot of that goes back to some of the original questions that we get asked when we're little, which is what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. It's a terrible question. Never asked. It's awful. Oh, awful. 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 <laughs> for, it's, it's awful for a lot of ways, reasons. One yeah. of them is that it's a what. We're not what's, mm -hmm. we're who's, we're people. Yeah. And a better question is, well, is who's the kind of person you want to become or you want to be when you grow up? That's mm -hmm. a totally different question. It's what would so our world true. be like if we asked that question, right? Yep. I find this comes up in so many interviews that I have. People say, well, when I was younger and I was asked, what do I want to be when I grow up? All it's, It comes up and I realize I've seen a trend of people that have carved their own path that they, from a young age, felt either pushed into some box or corner and thought, okay, this is the path they should take. And then they chose differently, but that's, it's a, it seems to be a defining moment because there's so much pressure put on us as, as young people. And I, I also noticed even in the, in your, in your work and in your website and everything, there was never a, a big title, you know, it's, you're a human being who helps people through the, the hardest times of their life. So I find that that's always, um, I find people either attach themselves to a bunch of labels mm -hmm. and, and identities and, and um, it's a way of sort of connecting ourselves to even a certain group. You know, it's, it's sort of the, I don't like that. It's the first question asked, what do you do? Totally. What do you do? So, totally. but I find that, yeah, we need some kind of a connection point sometimes. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about this too. Another, another thing I read, um, that you had written that according to your West African ancestors tradition, life's difficulties are initiation into what will produce high quality living. Yeah. Yeah. High yeah. quality living, which is interesting because we shy away from difficulties. Yeah, we do. We do again. And, and so according to a lot of the West African traditions, when we encounter these difficult and hard moments, it is again, what we're talking about it's a pivot point. It's a transition point. 
-hmm. If we understood difficulty from the standpoint of transition, as opposed to something we should get away from, then it, we would be more welcoming and mm -hmm. seeing it as the opportunity that it actually is. Right. So it's one of the reasons why I say all the time, when you encounter difficulty or hardship, you should be always asking, what am I learning? What do I need to know? How do I need to change and become? Because mm -hmm. this is an opportunity that takes you out of the everyday mundane, get up, get dressed, go to work, go home, rinse, repeat, and allows you to say, maybe this isn't right. Maybe something should be very different about my life. And the West African traditions, many of the ones that I've studied, the entire understanding, or a lot of the understanding, revolves around the notion of you're in this tight spot for a reason. There's a reason you're here. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a place where you will go from here to here. But the difficulty in the middle is the initiation process that you have to go through in order to get to there. Your destiny lies here. Mm -hmm. And we've known that from the beginning because that was part of your naming ceremony that you will be this person. And that's why you had that name, but you're not there yet. You have to go through this to get to there. That's why they see the difficult moment as the initiation into that thing that you are becoming. And they go through it in that regard. In our particularly US American way of life that has this built into our core value system, life, liberty and say it with me the pursuit of, of happiness. oh happiness happiness <laughs> the yes pursuit of happiness and we talk about the pursuit of happiness okay yep. it's all about <laughs> happiness it's all about happiness it's all it's about yep but we don't understand that it is not what it's all about it's i think the more correct statement is happiness with the expectation of difficulty, trouble, and hardship. Because mm -hmm. so often, um, I mean- It doesn't I'm, flow I'm off honest, the tongue as much. It doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> but yes. here's how you really know that you're experiencing a real happiness. You ever go through something that was really hard, difficulty, and troubling? And how did you feel on the other side of that? Joyful that it was over mm. and happy mm -hmm. that you could yes. put it behind you. But right. happiness did not exist in a vacuum. It was in contrast to the mm -hmm. hardship that I was just experiencing. So now yes. that I'm on the other side of that, I've got this happiness and that's real happiness because mm -hmm. it's contextual, right? It's right. contextual to this hard thing that I just went through. Now I really know what happiness is about. Mm -hmm. But in our way of living in our good old US of A, it's just happiness. But how do I really get to happiness? And how do I really understand happiness? And my philosophical approach is simply this. We can't really truly understand happiness and joy without understanding what might lie opposite it. Because that's that contrast yes. that allows us to fully inhabit that joy and happiness that we're feeling. Yep. So it's an initiation. 
into something better, something different, something a place where you can be. And I'm not saying this is true for every moment of difficulty and hardship and stress. Trust mm -hmm. me, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that for, in many instances, that is what is initiation into and how we can truly understand happiness and joy is on the other side of suffering, difficulty, and hardship. It's the context and the contrast that allows us to fully inhabit the joy, the happiness, and the level of whatever that you get mm -hmm. with that. Oof. That was good. What? It's so true. <laughs> so true. Ah, I, I find myself correcting people that say, I just want to be happy. I just yeah. want to be happy. I'm like, yeah, so does everybody. It's a choice. And a lot of the time it's the, you don't have the, you know, the saying of you don't have the light without the darkness or you don't have the darkness without the light. So they, it really is those moments of, and periods of time where you really, yeah, struggling. Which brings me to my next question about uh, something you talk about is the, the keys to success that's kind of plastered all over the internet, you know, Instagram, let's say it's this idea of hard work and, yeah. um, you know, commitment, discipline, yeah. 5 a.m. club, yeah, uh, you know, the code. Yes, <laughs> because um, eh, there's a lot of coach, I mean, there's a lot of coaches out there and a lot of, I, I'm a total self-help, you know, junkie, whatever you want to call it. So mm. I consume a lot of this stuff and I'm like, gosh, it, it what what is the key? Because I, I hear, you know, just leaning back, um, there's there's so many different different kind of theories out there. So you kind of outline this about what really are the keys to success. So I would love to hear you talk about the code. Thank you. Um, so I call it the code, but you just said all of it. Dedication, hard work, commitment, grind, grit, focus, all of those types of things they're all code for something else. Mm. And often when we talk about dedication or actually talking about is suffering, it's really what we're talking about is suffering. We're talking about self-deprivation. We're talking about hurting yourself in many instances by spending excessive time doing something when you should be sleeping. That's just not Oof. good for you. Yeah. Um, we talk about yeah. grinding. You hear that all mm -hmm. the time. You just got to grind. That that mm. whole thought is terrifying to me. Yeah, um, I hate it. Which why grind yourself into nothing? I don't. I don't understand that whatsoever. Um, hard work is often code for something completely different. Which is, I just have to keep doing the same thing and just keep at it. Keep at it. Keep at it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what you find is that the smartest, most successful people in the world, they don't do that. They're not hustling. <laughs> they're, they're, they're hustling. Maybe in the beginning. But hustling, but, but differently. <laughs> differently. They hustle different. They hustle different. Right. And mm -hmm. what they have found is that they have found a relative ease combined with commitment to an outcome that is really important. So what we're really trying to think about is when we talk about hard work, dedication, except we're talking about commitment. Am I setting my face toward getting this thing that I'd like to pursue to get? There's lots of ways that we can be committed to something and achieve an outcome rather than sitting down and just smashing ourselves completely at it over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Mm -hmm. So there's two things I think that are important to remember about the whole code and success, because that was a question is what are those keys to success? How do you get there? 
Number one, the code, hard work, commitment, dedication, et cetera, only work if the system is set up to successful to successively reward that type of effort. So if I am in a system okay. where I know if I do A, then B, B, then mm. C, C, then D, et cetera, then I know I'll be okay. If I keep doing this, I will get to that result. But most of the systems that we work in don't work that way. We do not know that if I continue to do A, B, or C, or D, that that will be the likely outcome. So the key to success is flex. Ooh. I had, and this is one of the things that my old coach told me, my, my mentor told me, he said, Eric, you have a plan B? I was like, no. He said, you need a plan B because your plan B is often going to turn into your new plan A. So he was just like, True. Yeah. no matter what you think, always be ready for something that is not going to go that way. And you're going to need to swap up and change and go in a different direction. And that's the danger behind the thought process behind the code, which is I keep going forward, hard work, push, dedication, et cetera, without taking my head up and realizing, as it, realizing, is this the right thing to be doing? Do I need mm -hmm. to change? Do I need to shift? Do I need to go in a different direction? What actually is the need versus the want? And it was what we talked about at the very beginning. I might want a lot of things, but what do I actually need? If, my, if I need to get to Chicago, how do I get from here to Chicago? Well, there's lots of different ways. I might want to drive my car, but I might end up on a bus. Did I get to Chicago? Sure. My need was fulfilled. So one of the keys to success is flex. It's just understanding that, and this is the issue around difficulty. It doesn't matter what you might want. Something's going to come along potentially and knock you sideways. Then what do you do? Mm -hmm. So how do I recover in those moments? Do I resist the push? or do I learn from it? That's okay. what successful people do. It's all about the learning in process that helps them get to where they need to get to. I set my goal and I learn along the way. I set my goal, I understand this is the direction I wanna go in. That might work out, that might not. And that might, even be, that might not even be the right goal. Am I listening along the way so that I make the changes I need to make in order to achieve the goal or I completely scrap the goal and go in a different direction? Okay, so flex as in flexible as inflexible the flexibility mm -hmm. really important um yeah, yeah really important so right. part of the reason why i say that one of the reasons why it's important is that this is a critical part of our happiness too and our like like to talk about in terms of well-being there are three critical aspects of well-being mm -hmm. and one of the key contributors to well-being is cognitive flexibility it is absolutely vital to us being yeah. in being in well-being cognitive flexibility. If we don't have cognitive flexibility, that type of neuroplasticity that we need, mm. that shifts, that changes, that grows, that brings in new knowledge, gets rid of old knowledge, we cannot have the type of well-being that we actually really want and it will ruin it, pretty much anything that we choose to do. That might be too strong, mm. but we need it, cognitive yes. flexibility. It also okay. is a significant con contributor to our ability to get where we want to get to in life. Mm -hmm. a Adaptability? Lot Oh, I know it's, it's so, uh, yeah. So I'm thinking of the, or the, the inflexibility Would that, how would that show up? Just some examples. So let's say you're not that flexible. What would that, would that be just rigidity or defensiveness? One way, one way of thinking, mm. the inability okay. to see multiple options, a commitment to one thing 
one way, um, the inability to listen mm -hmm. that often comes up, living in one's emotional distress, because it typically focuses us on only one way of solving a problem. So all of these, I think, are examples, are gross, big examples of when we are um, inflexible and don't have the ability to adapt like we need to. Mm -hmm. And one of the keys to adapting is accepting. If we can't accept the situation as it is, not as we hope it to be, not as we believe it should be, but as it actually is, we don't have the ability actually to adapt to a new circumstances or, or situation. So we need to be able to learn to be accepting of exactly what it is that we've got that we're dealing with that we have. Okay. What if you're a really adaptable person, but not really accepting of other people? <laughs> you have been reading my bio. I'm reading my bio right now. <laughs> I'd have to, I'd asking have, for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to ask what does not accepting of other people uh, really mean? Well, and how does that of, show up? What does that look like? It, it would be, not accepting someone for where they are in the, the moment, in that moment. And the, the inflexibility of seeing or waiting to see if there is a shift. Is it that a person would be asking for a friend, of course, mm -hmm. is it that the person <laughs> might be the other person or, or is it that it's not necessarily that we're not accepting, but might it be that there's something about what's happening that we find that we dislike? So we may dislike an opinion of theirs. Mm -hmm. We may dislike how they're behaving. We might not be able to find a welcoming place in us for whatever reason, for behavior, actions, attitudes of the other person. And therefore, we just don't like it. Mm -hmm. So it may not be a matter of accepting it. It may be a matter of recognizing the fact that we just don't like X or Y. Right. And we all have our preferences, right? Right. Yeah. We all have our preferences. So if it's sure. a matter of preference, that's fine. I may not okay. like so-and-so's car. That's fine. <laughs> I may not like, yeah, it's true. I may not like the job that they have. That's that's I, do I have, did they ask me to like their job? <laughs> they did not take right. a survey. If they did, I wasn't included in the, well, do you that. like my yeah. car? I did not get the, yeah. do you like my car survey? So, <laughs> yeah. so therefore sometimes it becomes a matter of us stepping back mm -hmm. and saying, I mean, this is my issue. It's mm -hmm. not them. It's me. You know, the famous, like, it's right. not you, it's me. It's not, yeah. um, and what do I have to do in order to either say, you know what? I may not like it. Okay. Is it a deal breaker? Probably not. Can I go on and find that this person is a person I still can love, can love and be with despite the fact of whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's our own work to do in that situation. Mm -hmm. Unless of course it is something that is really a deal breaker and all mm -hmm. of us have deal breakers when it comes to other human beings that we invite into our lives. Right. Right. Yeah. We should. We should.
You should. So I, so I hope that that either danced yeah. around gingerly your question. <laughs> Good. I just thought, oh, this is a interesting. The flexibility. It's like you know, interesting finding flexibility in certain areas and adaptability, yet a bit more of um, in other areas with certain things not that same. And yet, and interesting. Yet, I didn't actually answer your question in terms of flexibility or adaptability. I answered your question and what it is that you liked or disliked. And we're mm -hmm. not judging our ability to like or dislike something. We might come back afterwards and say, why in the world do I dislike mustard? It's not a bad condiment, mm -hmm. okay? But I just <laughs> don't like it. That's fine. That's just preference. Right. I don't have to like it. I don't have to accept it. It's, I just don't like it. That's okay. So mm -hmm. sometimes when it comes to accepting, accepting is a tricky thing because acceptance is almost always about something that I either have to or don't have to right. that means that my, yes, like, like i got a i got a choice it's a, it's like my sister when my sister mm -hmm. arrives she's like a hurricane <laughs> but she's still my sister you gotta accept it family yeah. damn it it's family yeah. <laughs> i don't like it but i have to accept that's my sister what am i gonna do <laughs> right yeah and i think at the end of the day too we all want to be accepted you know but Ah, okay. So up until now, hmm. what are you most proud of? Four human beings that I mm. have been able to, uh, and their father. That's mm -hmm. the thing I'm the most proud of. The fact that they chose their mother and I to be their parents, um, although we were very young and didn't know what the hell we were doing. <laughs> um. And the fact that I get an opportunity to be, to be their dad, and I had a chance to to help to play a role in their lives and get a chance to um, to see them now as adults, mm -hmm. that would be it. Best thing I've ever done. Mm. Wow. Ever. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to ask a few things because this conversation comes up a lot with friends that yeah, don't have children, and I'm at yeah. that age where it's. The choice, the window is closing and it's generally with my female friends that, that I have this conversation and it's that great mystery. Well, what if I, what if I don't, what am I missing? Will I regret it? Uh, that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. being a father and a young father, sounds like you might not have planned it potentially yeah. that you, you know? Yeah. Um, so you, Okay. Could you touch on that a little bit, your experience or even what, what advice you would give? So three of my kids have kids. One does not. He and his wife have chosen not to have kids. Mm -hmm. They are living large. Living large. Yeah. Life's different for sure. Life is just different for them. They, they don't claim to miss it. They don't claim to see their lives as either unfulfilled or incomplete. Mm -hmm. That's the choice that they've made and they're, they're absolutely fine with that choice. Now they've made the choice not to do that. So it's mm -hmm. very different than someone who might be in a situation in which they aren't necessarily having kids because they either haven't been able to make the choice of partners that they want mm -hmm. to make yeah. or some other circumstance that they are 
consider a prerequisite to their ability to have children. So I can't answer for them as to what they are or what they are, aren't missing. I've never not been, well, I have not been a father, but <laughs> it's it was long ago. <laughs> it was long ago for the past, I don't know, 40 <laughs> plus years I've been a dad. So mm -hmm. that's all yeah. I know at this point yeah. in time. So I can, um, I can honestly say in terms of asking for a friend, I don't know what they're missing. I don't know how their lives would be enriched or not. I don't know what their lives are now and the joys that they're experiencing in life or not. I would just certainly say that our objective in this reality is to live the life that we've got and to build into it the things that we want. So if you want to have kids, have kids, mm -hmm. figure it out, do it. Right. Um, if you think there's something missing, it probably isn't. I, I'm not a big believer in the sense that, oh, I had kids and my life was fulfilled. Mm, no. Mm, okay. You had kids and you went into debt, you had to educate <laughs> them, you had to feed them, you're up in the middle of the night. Yeah. They wrecked the family car. <laughs> just just a whole bunch of stuff happens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just, it's just a different choice, right? In a way. It's a so. Different bingo. You said it. Tell them that. It's a different choice. <laughs> Look in the mirror every day, Willow, and go, it's a different choice. <laughs> what are you gonna choose today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a tricky one. I oh yeah, this is a big conversation. For sure. And I, I just had it, well, I think yesterday. That's why it's it's fresh top of mind. And um, and I think again, we look outside of ourselves for the answer for culture. Society puts puts a lot of these ideas and pressures there. And I guess it's going, you know, circling back to the intuition, to the knowing, tapping in. What is your truth yeah. for you? And it's also something you don't know till you do it. And that's the great thing about having kids young. You don't know any better. <laughs> when you're my age, you overthink everything and everything, you know, it's, it's almost like so much awareness that it can really cause just the, the, the paralysis again. Very, very, very true. And I think the thing that you said the most, which is so true is where's the expectation coming from? Mm -hmm. Right. Is it mine? Or is it just what other people expect? What's my truth? What's my story? And do I have the courage to live in that? Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay, so now looking forward, okay. what are you most looking forward to in your life right now? It's a really good question. You think that I have a better sense of... Um, the directions and goals for, I think the thing I'm looking forward to the most is probably just the next 20 or so years of opportunity to step away from what would have been expected as a parent, um, as a former husband, and from many of the expectations that 
people would have in being able to simply explore mm. what is possible. I'm not sure what that is. Mm -hmm. Had to figure it out. Yeah. And I think that that would be it, the figuring of it out. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. It's the unknown, yeah. right? Absolutely. But, um, have you experienced, well, I know you've experienced a lot of storms, for example, but this goal setting and this forward movement, I know, I mean, being a coach, it's all about that. Mm -hmm. Have you set your life up or do you feel that you've been on that that path of like, I'm going to, okay, this is, and then the goals and forward moving that, that, that now it's like, you're taking kind of a, a, like stopping that in the mind, you know, this forward projection and just saying, I'm just going to let it flow. Yeah. Okay. So the magic happens, right? Uh, and how? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. how it's the, what, is, what were we just talking about? Expectations. Mm -hmm. And whose are they? Are they mine? Are they somebody else's? Are they societies? I mean, whose expectations are these? Mm -hmm. um, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's hard to, yeah. It's hard to disentangle ourselves from what might be somebody else's thoughts for us. Mm -hmm what potentially are our own for where we're going and what we want from life or what we need from life. And, um, and yeah, that's hard. Mm -hmm. Yes. It sounds, I mean, you use that word that was perfect. Disentangled. Yeah. Unraveling. Like where are these coming from? And, and you've had so much responsibility. Yeah. So much. So it's like, Whoa, okay. Now I'm just a grandpa. Yeah. And a father. And how do we, we take all this <laughs> stuff on and then how do we start to pull it off? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That's, I think that that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. It is. Definitely. Well, how can people find you and who do you typically like to work with? That's a great question. You can find me on the internet. You can find me on my website. It is ericowenrussell.com. You can find my Instagram at ericowenrusselcoaching. I used to have a Twitter presence. I don't anymore. So don't look for me there. Only Insta and your website. Only Insta a link on the website. Through. Yeah. Ideal clients. It's funny. I, this is an always ever changing moving target in terms of ideal clients. But generally speaking, um, it's someone who knows, knows that they're in a situation where they would like some help. And I say that because often people are in situations where they need help, but don't want to ask for it. Yeah. So ideally it is the person who is ready to say, taking really the courageous action that says, hey, I'm ready to get some help right now. So ideally it would be that person. And honestly, um, I don't know if the question has to do with, well, what type of situation or circumstance they're in, it's irrelevant, honestly. Mm -hmm. okay. Because what's relevant is, is where they are and almost all of us in those types of situations are in a place of learning, a place of growth, a place of pivot, transition, initiation, and mm -hmm. invitation into something else. So the circumstances are irrelevant. What's relevant is that we have a human life that's in them 
And what will that human life decide to do? And that's the place where I like to join them mm-hmm. and help them see what those options are and then get them moving, moving in that right direction. Awesome. Yeah. This has been a pleasure, a joy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All the things. I so appreciate you and the work mm-hmm. that you do and how you show up. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on for all the interviews that you are doing and have done such help. You're bringing to so many people Mm. by bringing all these different voices together in one place where they can actually see and get all this great content information and help. Um, Because we're certainly living at a time right now where there's a lot of information that's available, but not all of it is helpful. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference for visibility. And even better, share this episode with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode every other Wednesday. If you're interested in working together to elevate your online presence, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Instagram at whereiswillow. I also hang out on LinkedIn, Willow McDonough. Until then, cheers to carving your own fucking path. I love you.